Let's pray. Father God, I pray that um, we'll understand in our minds what you're saying to us today, that in our hearts we'll receive what you have for us, that um, we'll be open to going where you want us to go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said before, it's um, another New Year's just around the corner. And often when we come to a new year, we think about New Year's resolutions. Um, and that's always talked about, so I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> but I am going to talk about choices. Choices is a similar thing, and making the right choices. So choices every day, we have to make choices. Some choices are easier than others. So, for example, what we eat and we drink. Some people can stress about it. Generally, it doesn't really matter too much. Um, some uh, choices are more important and, and can be more stressful, like uh, choosing a career path, um, what friends we'll hang out with. And some uh, choices can be life-changing, like who are we going to marry? <laughs> but the most important choice of all that will decide our whole future is who we will follow. Um, when I was looking at um, some statistics in our country um, of um, religious belief from the last um, census that we had, um, for the first time, I think there's more people that don't believe in anything in our country than um, do, do believe in God. Or it's very close, very even. But there's been a, certainly a significant um, drop in traditional uh, Christian belief, like the traditional churches, like the Anglicans, um, in five years, lost 600,000 members. So 600,000 people that used to think uh, say that yes, we're Anglicans, no longer are. 200,000 Catholics have changed their mind. And it's interesting, the people that say that they're Christians has dropped overall by um, 10% in five years. And the people that say they don't believe in anything, they have no religion at all, has increased by 9%. So that People that are leaving the church are saying they don't believe in anything anymore. But mainly they're from the traditional churches. Um, all the traditional churches are, are down in numbers. And I think it's because they've chosen to hold on to tradition over being relevant. And I know that there's some you know, the last few weeks we have been following traditions, like we've been strongly talking about the tradition of Christmas and singing the songs that are centuries years old. So there's nothing wrong with tradition in a sense, but um, when the majority of people can't relate to it anymore, there is a problem there. 
there's a problem with some of the choices that are being made. So, who do we believe? We follow the Lord Jesus. Whose word will we listen to? And how do we know the difference? Well, Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through me. So when you have half of Australia saying, we don't want to believe in anything, or there's nothing that we think is worth believing in, if what Jesus has said is true, this is a very serious situation in our country. And, you know, we have to take a look at ourselves and saying, are we part of the problem or are we part of the solution? And I know there's some huge churches around Australia where people are seemingly flocking to those churches, but when you actually look at the statistics, the Pentecostal church has actually shrunk as well by 2%. So they're doing a lot better than the traditional churches, but they're not doing probably as good as they have in the past because in the past the Pentecostal church has always grown strongly and we might look at a few reasons for that later so the next big choice is if we're going to follow Jesus is how do we go about following Jesus well we need to know someone to understand who they are and what they're doing And how do we get to know Jesus? It's through his spirit and through his word. They each work together in us to help us grow and know God more deeply and understand more fully what God, what his good and pleasing will is for us, both as individuals and as a church. And that's why Jesus tells us in John chapter 4, in verses 23 to 24, that we must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not either or, but both together. As I've heard it said, too much of the word and not enough spirit, you dry up. Too much spirit and not enough word, you blow up. But with the word and spirit revealing God together, you grow up and you build up. So today I pray God will help us understand how to worship him here in our church, in spirit and in truth. And I'll just read that full scripture for you in John John chapter 4 verse 23 where it says, But the time is coming, oh no it's verse 23, oh I'll read that as well, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now. When true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So how do we do that? First of all, We need to know and be 
who we are in Christ. So because of who we are, if you believe in Jesus, we, we have access to the truth through his spirit and through his word, as I've already said. So never forget who you are. For those of us who believe, God says we are his children. We are children of a living God adopted into his family. So Jesus, by the sacrifice of his body, paid with his blood the price for our sin on the cross. And now because we believe in what he's done, we are restored into God's family and are welcomed into his presence. Back in the Old Testament times, that sort of thing was unheard of. Um, because to come into God's presence where he dwelt in the temple, you had to make sacrifices to atone for your sin. Um, if you were a foreigner, you couldn't, the, the closest you could get in the temple was the outer courts, which is why Jesus was so cross when they'd set up um, basically a market in the, in the court for the Gentiles, because that's where the Gentiles, that's the only place, they could, that's the closest they could come to God and they'd set up a market in there to sell stuff for those that were coming to believe. And Jesus drove them out and said, my house should be a house of prayer. He was zealous for his house, the house of God. And he wants us to be zealous for the house of God now. The house of God no longer is a building, but is a people. The Holy Spirit rests in us. Which is an amazing thing. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit dwelt in the Holy of Holies. So we talk about the Gentiles who come into the outer court. Then there was a court that the women could go into if you were an Israelite. Then a court that the men could go into. And then a place inside the temple where only the priests could go. And then into the Holy of Holies once a year, the chief priest could go into. And they used to tie a rope around his leg in case God didn't accept <laughs> accept him and they could pull him out because if otherwise if someone else went in there they would die as well because imperfect people can't come into the presence of a holy God but we also read the closest in the Old Testament was Moses and he was like a, um, a reflection of who Jesus was and um, when we read about him in the Old Testament, God says, I didn't speak to Moses like I did with the other prophets in dreams and in visions, but I spoke to him face to face like a friend. And that's who we can be. We can be God's friend. And that's an amazing privilege that he accepts us no matter what we've done when we surrender to him. We are forgiven and perfect in his eyes and his Holy Spirit who he has sent to live within us confirms this in our hearts. Thanks be to God. The only news better than this is that when we die we will be living in his perfect wonderful presence forever and our sins, our sinful nature is gone forever. 
Praise the Lord. We're looking forward to that. Is there any better news than that? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I think it's very incredible that the God that made the whole universe cares so much for us that he sent his one and only son Jesus to die in our place so that we wouldn't have to be estranged from God but we can be brought back and have into a proper relationship with him so that we might have the opportunity that we have to live in the Father's presence not just on a Sunday but 24-7 wherever we are, whatever we're doing wherever we're going whatever we're going through God has promised that he'll be right there with us to the end when we worship God in spirit we understand who he is who we are, what God has done and continues to do and how he wants to work in us and through us for his good purposes. To become more like Jesus in our character and more aligned with his ways in our actions. In other words, being one with God in mind and in purpose. Now, I've been involved with a number of churches over the years, and some emphasise the work of the Spirit more, and others more the work or the importance of understanding His Word. But if we get extreme one way or the other, we, we run into trouble, and both extremes can be, da- can be damaging. So I know I was in one church where they didn't really care what you did or said too much, as long as it wasn't too heretical. As long as the spirit was moving. So, you know, might be a miracle happen or something like that. The person that got up to speak might have spoken a whole lot of stuff that even isn't scriptural, but as long as people are coming and things are happening, the spirit is moving, you can do whatever you like. Another church I was in, they were so wrapped up in what the truth is, they were arguing with each other all the time. All they were doing was arguing about what the truth of the scripture is. They were more concerned about being right than caring for one another. Whereas on the other side, they thought that because the spirit was moving, that it wasn't important what truth is. The fact is that both of God's truth revealed in his word, which is Jesus, revealed to us through his spirit, work together to confirm who God is and what he's about. So with the two churches I was mentioning, both of those churches were heading down 
their primary motives were selfish. All one wanted was spiritual thrills and excitement, and the other was beating each other up with the truth. Their primary concern wasn't for each other. The first church was about pleasure-seeking, and the second was being about being proud about being right. So, what is truth? Truth is more than knowing about God. In Jesus' time, there was a group called the Pharisees who knew all about God, and many of them knew the Old Testament scriptures off by heart, but they didn't understand what they meant and they interpreted the scriptures incorrectly. John teaches us that Jesus is the word of God and he is the truth. So all the scriptures must be examined, considered and viewed through the lens of what Jesus has said and done. His words and actions reveal who God is and what God cares about. When we are in a relationship with him, his Holy Spirit will also give us greater depth of understanding and insight into what God really means in his word, his complete truth. And... An example of that, I, I think, is some of the. Um, I used to like listening to Martin Isles. He had a segment called "The Truth of It," where he answered um, questions and talked about situations that were happening in the world around us, and brought to bear God's truth and help make godly sense of many confusing things that are going on in the world around us. But those beacons of light are often far too few and sometimes get snuffed out too easily. So what I want us to also think about is are we going to follow any old way or are we going to follow God's way? The Bible talks about following the narrow path that leads to life, not the highway which leads to death. So the highway basically says any which way we can, whatever works, is what we should do. What, what my personal truth is, whatever works for me. It was interesting when, in my study through Revival College, one of the characteristics of the early, early Pentecostal church in Australia, and in particular the CRC church, which we are a part of, which started here in Adelaide with, uh, by Leo Harris in 1945, was their deep desire to establish a church that was authentic to the scriptures and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. This meant embracing the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their church services. So we've been, I know in Bible study, we haven't all been involved in our Bible study, but in our Bible study it's one of the things we've been looking at in particular. There's some gifts that lend themselves more to a church service than others, like a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a prophetic message, um, but also we've had in our church people have spoken in tongues and the tongues have been interpreted. 
God reveals himself and uses many people in different ways as the Spirit determines. But I was also um, had to do an essay which looked at the decline of the use of these gifts in the spirit in the public meetings of Pentecostal churches in Australia from the late, late 20th century onwards. I found a few key reasons that have contributed to the decline in the use of these gifts. I think firstly they've gone away from the plan that the maker has given us. Like in the Bible, it's, uh, you know, some people <laughs> have said the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. It's our, our manual for life. And in, in there, God sets down many things through his apostles and, and teachers in the Bible about resources that he's given us and one of those resources is through his Holy Spirit he's given us good gifts if someone needs healing if someone needs a word of encouragement or whatever it is that when we're open to the Spirit those things are used to encourage and build up the church God has provided he's like the grand architect of the universe that has um, provided his building plans for us to use and when we go away from that we may have what appears to be success but in the, in the long term it really bears good and lasting fruit so when I looked at the, the modern Pentecostal churches and particularly when you look at the um, the, the, the largest churches worship revolves around music and that's pretty much all worship is taught to be is singing wonderful songs and look, don't get me wrong places like Hillsong and others have written some wonderful songs and music that we use to praise and um, be drawn into the presence of God. So there's nothing wrong with music per se, but when that becomes the only focus of worship, if that becomes the only way we come into the presence of God, then I think we're going away from the plan that the, the Maker has set. And one of those he talks about in the Scriptures um, Paul talks about in um, Corinthians that the gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good, that the church may be built up and to serve one another, which is in 1 Peter. Paul is teaching us that this is how God builds up, encourages and strengthens his church, providing a solid foundation that will stand up under the storms of life. When I speak to some people who have been to these largest churches, they have a very high turnover rate. And a mate of mine, who went back to one of these churches after being away for a couple of years, said only 10% of the people that were there when he came to that church were still there. The church was still the same size, but there was an enormous turnover. 
because when you first go there and they have these wonderful music presentations and excite, there's excitement in the air um, and the performances rival any international um, uh, travelling artist that you can think of with their light shows and video screens and everything else but in the end there's not a depth to keep people there Yes, the Word of God is part of it as well. They do always preach, and that is good. But when we read in the Scriptures, it talks when Jesus is going out preaching, when Paul's going out preaching, what goes hand in hand is miracles. It says the miracles authenticated the word that they preached. And that's one thing in Australia that we we don't believe in the supernatural. But it's one it's more seen in, in people that are, are coming in from overseas and also the Traditional Australians, the Aborigines, um, have a strong connection to the spiritual things of life. But the general population, and as reflected in those figures we said before, that people saying that, you don't believe in anything. They, they don't believe that there's credible evidence to make them want to find out more. So that's why I want to advocate for the, the gifts of the Spirit at work in our church that we are open to being used by God. And you might say, oh, well, I mean, God can't use me. We'll get to that in a minute. I just want to read from 1 Corinthians 14, 26, where it says, Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarise. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. So we see here there is encouragement for a wide involvement in worship by a wide variety of people with various gifts to strengthen the congregation. This contrasts to the modern megachurch model where there is only an elite few who are the best performers who get to lead the worship while the majority are entertained. Paul's talking about worship and church that we participate in and we're a part of. So how do we apply that into our oh so let me just also say um, one of the reasons 
why those big churches put on those big presentations is because it works, it draws a lot of people in. But I'm not just about getting numbers here on pews, but developing and discipling believers to develop the gifts that God has given them and live out the calling he has placed on our lives. So, if we summarise so far, we learn to worship God in spirit and truth when we know and be who we are in Christ. We follow the biblical spirit-given pattern for worship and we grow by making disciples. (coughs) Not just increasing our numbers. But growth is real and lasting. So to put this into action, we need to be open and expectant that God can and will use us and rely on God's power, not our own strength. As I said before, we usually think we're not good enough or God won't use us. We can't do it because, which is usually a fear response, sometimes there is some truth in our fears about ourselves. But in Isaiah 40, 29, it says... God says he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. And I just want us to watch a short video, a couple of minutes, from uh, Nicky Gumbel, which I think he covers this very well. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29, it says that he gives strength to the weary. And increases the power of the weak. I'm far from perfect. I sometimes find it hard to believe that God really loves me, especially when I mess up, fail, or make bad decisions. Actually, no one is perfect apart from Jesus. But God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son to die for us. Therefore, God must love imperfect people. In fact, we are still sinners. Christ died for us. God knows that perfect people do not exist. We're all fair. God's love for you is bigger than your mistakes. God loves imperfect people. Everyone knows that their marriage partner's not perfect, their children are not perfect, their parents are not perfect, their friends are not perfect. But we love, we love imperfect people. If we love imperfect people, perhaps it shouldn't surprise us that God loves imperfect people even more. God is also a power-sharing God. Our verse for today, Isaiah says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Or as the message version puts it, He energizes those who get tired. Those who wait upon God get fresh strength. Quietly wait on God, study His word, pray, worship, and meditate on His love for you. He will restore you, re-energize you, and empower to face everything you need to do. Aren't they encouraging words from Nicky? He's emphasising that God cares for you. One of the amazing things about God we see in the scriptures is that he cares for the outcasts, the weak and the hopeless. He is a God of second chances. He loves to do his greatest work through the most unlikely people. God could work through the most powerful and wealthy people, 
But one of the ways God shows his true power is when he strengthens the weak and gives power to the powerless. When God sent his son to earth, Jesus came in the form of a helpless baby, which we just learned through Christmas. When Jesus chose his 12 disciples, he chose the most unlikely group of followers. Most of them were fishermen. God doesn't choose the powerful, he empowers those he chooses. This is great news for us. We may not be the best at what we do or the most influential person, but God can still use us. You may not feel like you have the right traits or talents to be used by God, but that's okay. God can use anyone and everyone. God makes it a habit of taking our greatest weakness and greatest pains to use for his kingdom work. So I'd like us to take a moment right now to ask God for strength. If you're feeling weak, ask him to increase your power or increase his power in you. While our weakness may not be fixed like we'd like, when we're open to God using us, he will turn unlikely situations into powerful moments for his kingdom. As Barry Chalmers taught us before, when we step out in faith, God steps in with his power. And Hans Wortmann taught us recently, when we do our small bit, God does his big bit. Ask him to open your heart and mind to how he can use you, including your weaknesses, to make a difference in the world around you. Let us pray. God, you are so strong and faithful. Thank you for strengthening us through your spirit. Thank you that you've given us your word through Jesus. Thank you that even when we're tired and weary, you can still use us. Help us never give up, but to continue to follow you regardless of our circumstances. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.